Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360, your go-to resource for medical news and clinical updates. I'm your moderator, Jessica Bard, with Consultant 360 Specialty Network. Pneumonia is among the leading causes of morbidity and mortality worldwide. Diagnostic and therapeutic choices are heavily dependent upon the setting in which pneumonia is acquired. Dr. Chuck Vega is here to speak with us today about community-acquired bacterial pneumonia, CABP, and how clinicians determine site and duration of treatment based on patients' factors and prior treatment. Dr. Vega is a clinical professor of family medicine, the assistant dean for culture and community education, and the director of the program in medical education for the Latino community at the University of California, Irvine, in Irvine, California. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Vega. Can you please talk to us about the difference in score systems used to predict the severity of CABP, pneumonia severity index versus CURB-65 versus expanded CURB-65? Yeah, the inpatient versus outpatient management of CABP is, is one of those critical decision points. And we do get a lot of patients with pneumonia in the hospital. In fact, there's a study that was published in 2018 that showed uh, that per capita, the hospitalization rate for pneumonia per 100,000 uh, person years in the United States was double that of myocardial infarction. It was more than three times higher than stroke, more uh, twice plus as high as osteoporotic fracture and associated with more costs in total as well. And because it was just more common, also associated with a higher death rate among hospitalized patients. So I think that there's a goal to reduce the overall rate of hospitalization among patients with CABP because we know that when they're hospitalized, the cost is about 25 times greater and that about 80% of patients actually prefer outpatient treatment. They can return to activity faster. And so therefore, there's, there's definitely some reasons to promote outpatient-based treatment. Yet for safety reasons, there's there's also good reasons to admit many patients with with pneumonia. I, I think that we'll, you know these decision tools and these aids that have have uh, come to the fore have really helped with that difficult decision and given us some more evidence based guidelines so that we can manage patients and triage them appropriately to the inpatient versus outpatient treatment setting. And and you probably want to know about what the what the guidelines are, correct? That's correct. That was my next question. Go for it. All right. So there, there's really two main indexes that, that I've used uh, that I'm familiar with. And one's the pneumonia severity index, and the other is that CURB-65. Uh, and I'll talk about, if you're not familiar with it, I'll talk about why it's called CURB in a minute. The pneumonia severity index, I think, has a as a more straightforward title, it's easy to understand. So in the American Thoracic Society, Infectious Disease Society of America guidelines regarding the management of community-acquired pneumonia, they actually recommend that pneumonia severity index over CURB-65. So I'll start with the, with the PSI uh, pneumonia severity index. It had it's, it's something where I really need to use a risk calculator, and there are risk calculators available online or through an app that are very easy to use. It does not take long. It factors in age, coexisting illnesses, uh, findings on physical examination, and lab and x-ray findings as well. It is something where folks who get a score under 70 should be considered for outpatient therapy. And age itself, I just point out that, because I can't go into the, you know, all the details of the PSI, but Age in itself for men counts as, as points. So if you're 50 years old, that's 50 points. If, if For women, it's age minus 10 because men have a higher risk 
of complications associated with pneumonia. But say for a 70-year-old individual, you're already moving towards uh, inpatient because there's going to be many have comorbid illnesses, those add on 10 per illness. And so I, I was surprised that this actually keeps a lot of patients out of the hospital because it seems like a lot of my older patients actually have a PSI score, which puts them as inpatient status. But what I think it's really good at doing is keeping our 38 year olds, maybe with one comorbid illness and keeps them out of the hospital. And because those patients many times do not need to be admitted. And so that's the benefit of the PSI and it has been shown to discriminate in terms of who is at higher risk. And it has been shown as well to help keep patients managed as outpatients, which is better for the patient in terms of the recovery and better for our health system in terms of saving costs. I'll mention CURB-65 too. This is a, a pretty straightforward tool. And what it has to do with is the CURB stands for confusion at uh, of new onset in patients, a blood urea nitrogen score above 19 milligrams per deciliter, a respiratory rate of 30 breaths per minute or more, a blood pressure that's low, less than 90 over 60 systolic over diastolic, and age is 65 years or more. If they only have, if they have zero or one of those positive, you can treat as an outpatient. Two are positive, it's considered to be a short stay in the hospital or watch very closely as an outpatient. And a score of three to five would indicate that they require hospitalization. So it's faster to use, but it may not be quite as discriminating. What would constitute a complex case of CAVP and how would you manage that patient? Yeah. So, I mean, I think complex case has a lot of different potential definitions. So a complex case could be, you know, somebody is presenting with more subtle symptoms and signs where you suspect pneumonia, but you're not sure. It can also mean somebody with a more severe pneumonia or maybe somebody who took some amoxicillin they had from an infection three years ago, and they weren't doing better at day three. So now they're seeing you. So there's a, there's a ton of different definitions I can think of or scenarios that would suggest a more complicated case. And these are things we see all the time. In terms of severe pneumonia, there are formal criteria for that. You know, a major criteria would include septic shock or respiratory failure. So these are patients who are already in the inpatient setting. You can, you can have severe pneumonia without having one of those major criteria. But again, this is the minor criteria. You have to have at least three of them. And they would involve things like hypothermia, hypotension, tachypnea, and as, some, as well as confusion and some laboratory findings. So these are patients who are really, of course, should be admitted if they're, if they're not admitted yet. And uh, many times, if they have those criteria for severe pneumonia, they actually need to be cared for in the ICU. What comorbidities are common in patients with CAVP? I think that the more comorbidities you have, the higher your risk uh, for CABP. And so those include things uh, like uh, diabetes, like a history of immunosuppression, um, you know, either that could be immunosuppressive illness, or many times it's because they're being treated, say, with a biologic agent or chronic prednisone for a rheumatologic condition or for chemotherapy for cancer. So those are some of the conditions. Then any chronic lung condition, whether it's interstitial lung disease or COPD, asthma, heart failure, the list goes on and on. And uh, and I think that it, you know one is it's a call to you know to try to treat those chronic illnesses appropriately because it, when the patient has exacerbation, they're more likely to get pneumonia. But to Two, it's, these are folks who really need to be at high priority for prevention through vaccination in particular. Which medications have been used previously to treat CABP and are new medications needed? Well, so 
for usually when patients are presenting as outpatients, it's it's okay to use either amoxicillin or doxycycline using macrolides with caution because of the risk of pneumococcal resistance. I think new medications are, are particularly necessary more in the inpatient setting and where we can see polymicrobial infections and with resistant organisms. And so seeing that innovation there is important because we have run into cases where, you know, it seems like no antibiotic, you know, might actually be effective. And instead we have to consult infectious disease and try to work with a cocktail of different antibiotics to really gain the upper hand in the fight against ammonia. You mentioned polymicrobial infection. How would you manage a patient with a polymicrobial infection? Right. So in, in patients who don't have MRSA, methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus, or Pseudomonas infection, you know, a beta-lactam plus a macrolide or respiratory fluoroquinolone can be sufficient. But when they either have known colonization or a prior infection with Pseudomonas, it makes more sense to use an anti-pseudomonal beta-lactam like cefepime or piperacillin and tazobactam plus an anti-pseudomonal fluoroquinolone, Cipro, or, or you, I, I prefer levofloxacin uh, among those patients as well. The other high-risk group that we can see is folks with a known colonization or prior infection with MRSA, or when we have a strong suspicion of MRSA. And there, it's worth adding an, an agent with anti-MRSA activity, as vancomycin or linazolid, might be a little bit preferred because it inhibits bacterial toxin production. So it's it's starting to reach that level of polypharmacy where you really are talking about maybe three antibiotics, you know, for the same patient, rarely even four antibiotics uh, in the same patient who's really high risk with a polymicrobial infection. How does the treatment regimen impact the patient's journey? Well, I think that when we add more antibiotics, of course, we open things up to, you know, higher risk of adverse events, whether it's a, a drug allergy, a drug interaction, you know, perhaps a, you know, higher risk of selecting out for more resistant organisms. And so that's why it's, it's really important to try to focus in on the specific organism when you have your culture and sensitivities established to, uh, to really initiate therapy that, that is effective but also focused on uh, the organism at hand. How do clinicians determine how to de-escalate therapy, transition from broad to narrow spectrum therapy, or choose targeted therapy? Well, that's a great question, and, I, and that's what I was alluding to. So while we start patients off on a more broad-based regimen as inpatients, usually by day uh, two or three, hopefully we have an organism that we can identify, and we can now drop the more broad-spectrum regimen and use something that's more focused on what the organism is sensitive to. But it also should be noted that for the majority of patients who are hospitalized with community-acquired pneumonia, a causative pathogen is not identified. And therefore, that may mean that you need to continue empiric therapy for the, for the duration as long as the patient is getting better. What would you say are the risk factors for rehospitalization? Yeah, rehospitalization is, is certainly a, a big problem among patients with pneumonia, and it's, it's a problem for hospitals. The you know, according to you know, Medicare data, the 30-day readmission rate for community-acquired pneumonia is between 17 and 25%, depending on the study you're looking at. Known risk factors include male sex, older age, lower educational attainment. And then there's a lot of comorbid conditions, you know, particularly heart failure, immunodeficiency that put patients at risk for rehospitalization. And it's worth stepping back and thinking about the fact that 
a lot of cases of community acquired bacterial pneumonia actually don't resolve completely. So they may be treated with antibiotics as inpatients, but they're still coughing, they're still, um, they're still fatigued. And about up to one in six cases actually fail antibiotic therapy. So therefore, they're going to do worse. They're, the symptoms shall return and stronger this time, and, and they end up getting readmitted to the hospital. So it's nice to focus on things we can actually control. Um, modifiable risk factors include just getting the right kind of care. So getting an appropriate regimen for pneumonia, good discharge planning. So particularly with regards to uh, following up and making sure that they have outpatient follow-up and trying to remove those barriers to either getting their medications as outpatients uh, to making sure they have prompt follow-up so that any issues can be identified, hopefully with their primary care clinician. Those are things we can do to drive down readmission rates uh, for these patients with CABP. Is there anything else you'd like to add today about how clinicians determine site and duration of treatment? No, I think that we tend to overuse antibiotics. And for some patients, a five-day course is perfectly reasonable. For most of my patients, I'm giving seven days. And as I mentioned, for patients with more severe pneumonia or who have more comorbidities, 10-day course of therapy is usually what's required. And you can follow these patients as, as outpatients to make sure that they are doing better. And that as long as they're improving, I feel comfortable stopping antibiotics at those specified times. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Vega. We really appreciate your time. I appreciate being here. Thanks. Thanks to you.